0: God's people said, amen. amen. We are in a series called Realignment, Realignment uh, going through the book of Acts. And we are in Acts chapter 4, verse 11 today. And today I want to talk to you about the rock and the river, the rock and the river. Uh, what is your biggest fear? Real quick, show of hands, how many people's biggest fear is snakes? Anybody? 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 Okay, K okay, okay, look around. Uh, how many... <laughs> How many people is spiders? Any spiders? All right, all right. How many, Clowns? Anybody? Clowns? Some people? There's a few, yeah. Some clowns really freak people out sometimes. Or maybe heights. How many people is the heights ones? All right, yeah, I know it's Pastor Christian. Uh, heights, yeah. Uh, my biggest fear growing up was speaking in front of other people. Believe it or not, it has always been speaking in front of other people. I can handle snakes and spiders. I don't mind flying in airplanes, getting on the ladder. But speaking in front of people terrifies me. Uh, And it's amazing I'm doing it right now. But that has been my biggest fear my whole life, is always been in front of people uh, in the classroom, going up in front of the board for those math races. Oh, man, and doing a speech and speech class. I had to take Pepto-Bismol just to do a speech and speech class. Uh, It always terrified me, always terrified me. My nerves, I feel like throwing up, speaking in front of people. And so when uh, speaking in front of people being my biggest fear in life, growing up when a pastor or an evangelist would come, and I grew up in church, and they would say, when's the last time you talked to someone about Jesus? When's the last time you reached somebody? I always felt ashamed or powerless because even though I had some knowledge of God, I grew up in church, I really felt like I didn't have the ability to do it. One, I felt like I didn't know enough. And two, I felt paralyzed just to go talk to someone across the street or at school or in college or uh, a random stranger. It would be awful for me to go talk to. I just didn't have that ability. And so God began to get a hold of my life as a, as a junior in high school. And I'm going to tell you the story of a young man. So as I uh, was paralyzed by fear, as God was, was dealing with me, and in my junior year of high school, God really began to touch my life and call me and draw me closer to him and Again, I was still the kid in the back of the youth group, the back of the classroom. And this guy, his name was Michael. And Michael was a, ahead of me in a grade. And me and my friend had been trying to uh, evangelize Michael. Now, let me tell you something. I was not an evangelist. And, and my evangelist was like, hey, you should come to our youth group maybe one time, maybe possibly ever, you know, and just kind of live the life in front of him, which is good. I really wanted Michael to like me because Michael was this very popular very outgoing, very very funny guy, and I was not. I was that kid, the nerdy kid in the back of the room that had no friends. And so as I'm friending this guy, and he's we're in uh, in some classes in band together, and and I just begin to live the life in front of him, and you know I don't know, just God began to do stuff and just put a burden for him on my heart. And me and my friend were both going to the same youth group and both grew up together, and so we're leading him, but we're not really doing a very good job. And one night after a Tuesday night revival service, I go home, challenged by God. I happened to get on a thing back then. Kids called MSN Messenger. It was the thing back then after Hotmail came out. All right, come on. And uh, I it happened to be that Michael was on that night. And Michael had grown up in a divorce home. He didn't have a Christian home, and and he and that he had even though he on the outset everyone loved him and thought he was the most popular, cool kid, um, funny. Everybody wanted to be around him. But on the inside, though, he was broken. He was dealing with drugs, and he was dealing with alcohol, and dealing with depression, even to the point where he was getting suicidal. God just ordered it that night that Michael would be on at the same time, and he would reach out to me, and we began begin to talk. And I had no clue what I was doing. I just began to talk about God and whatever I knew, and he was, he was in a very bad state, and so I just felt compelled, an unction from God. And I don't know, I'm telling you, I was not not going into the ministry. I had no, I didn't know Bible degree. I was a junior in high school. And so I said, hey, just call me. And he called me, and right there on the phone... I did my best possible. I heard my pastor do a sinner's prayer before. I had no idea how to do a sinner's prayer or lead somebody to the Lord. And I just began to say, hey, just repeat it this after me, like I heard my pastor say. And I am like, I'm hoping I ain't gonna send this kid to hell. I, mean, I don't I don't know what I'm doing. Man, I don't know anything about the I don't know Bible verses, man. I just I just know this. And he began to weep and to sob, and I led him to the Lord that day, and I hung up the phone. I cannot tell you the joy the excitement literally this junior in high school got up on top of his bed and began jumping up and down and weeping and laughing and just excited i have never felt to that day never felt what it was like to lead someone to the lord and my life would go on and he would graduate and i would graduate and we would be separate little did i know just a few years later michael would die 32 years old, Michael would get cancer and and be gone within a few months. Before he died, he came and visited me when I was a pastor at my church. And I came to find out he had become a Sunday school teacher Now, a little Baptist church, became a band teacher. And that decision, all those years ago, by two high school students, you don't ever know what could be in store, and what opportunities lie awake for us, that there is a broken and bruised and shattered world, and they're just longing for someone to have the courage to stand up for Jesus. I thank God that a junior in high school that didn't know nothing had the courage that night to lead a friend to Jesus. This world is so broken, so desperate for someone to stand for Christ. And in a world so full of so many opinions that people are standing on, many Christians, I think, we think we're standing for Christ. But you know, it's been said that 95% of Christians have never won anyone to the Lord. And 71% don't even give towards the Great Commission. Are we hearers and not doers, like James says? Or maybe we're like the Laodicean church in America today, the one that says, hey, uh, we have everything. And Jesus says, well, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. You don't even know how blind and naked and wretched you are. You think you've got it all figured out, but you don't understand really where you're at because you're not really standing for me. I don't think we need a church today passionate for political or social opinions. I don't think we need a church today that's sharing more religious Facebook memes. I think we need a church today that's standing on the rock of Jesus Christ and so full of the Holy Spirit, we're willing to go to the highways and byways once again. That we'll have the confidence to tell our family and friends and neighbors and strangers about the good news of salvation. That we have Christian parents who'll bring their kids to church more faithfully than to extracurricular activities once again. That we'll have Christian workers who'll serve the kingdom mission through ministries in their local church. And that we'll have prayer closets that have tear-stained pillows and altars that have tear-stained altars once again for the lost. Man, we need a move of God today. And I think that's in this realignment. To stand on the rock and stand in the river once again. That's what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. Acts chapter 4, verse 11. If you're there, somebody say amen. Amen. Standing for Christ. Outside the temple, Peter and John have just healed this man, this beggar man. In silver and gold, have I none? What I have, I give to you. And they begin to see him leap and dance. And they go into the hour of prayer. And as soon as they get into this temple, man, the Sanhedrin, the high priest, the very people who had killed Christ just, just a few months ago, arrest them. And they put them in jail overnight. And the next morning, the same Caiaphas, the same Annas, who had killed Christ, began to question Peter and John. Can you imagine standing before the same guy who killed Jesus? And they're standing there before the great council. This is like the Supreme Court and the president. This is the people who rule the country. And here are these little fishermen. And watch what they say. Acts 4.11 Peter begins to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. Now they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed, though, and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Let's keep going. And seeing the man who'd been healed sitting with him, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what are we going to do with these men? For it was noteworthy that a miracle had been taken place, and it's apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But so it won't spread any further among the people. Let's warn them not to speak any longer to any person in this name. So they summoned them back, and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But here's what, verse 19, but Peter and John answered and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, make your own judgment. For we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. And they threatened him further and they let him go, finding no basis which to punish them on the account of the people. They were all glorifying God for what happened. For the man on whom this miracle of healing had been performed, he was more than 40 years old. And when they'd been released, they went to their companions and, re- and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had said, or really threatened to them. And when they heard this, this is the church, they raised their voices to God with one mind, one translation may say, one accord, and said, Lord, It is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that's in them, by whom the Holy Spirit, the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why are the nations insolent and the people plotting in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand. Listen, the kings of the earth are taking their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. It was both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and all the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand purposed to predestine to occur. Verse 29, now, O Lord, look at their threats and grant it to your bond servants to speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place among the name of your holy servant Jesus. Last verse, 31, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to what? Speak the word of God with boldness. Can you imagine standing before the same people who killed Jesus? What do you think they're gonna do to you? I mean, come on. If they kill Jesus, it's very likely they're gonna kill you. I believe Peter and John thought that day that was the end. That's the end. This is about to be over, man. These people killed Jesus. And here we are. It's our turn. What gave Peter and John these simple, Bible says, uneducated, untrained, they didn't go to Bible school, they didn't have a PhD in the Bible, simple common people, the boldness, the confidence to say, should I obey you, O high council, or should I obey God? You decide. Can you imagine the boldness, the gall, the grit that they had to have to stand for Jesus? Now, you and I may not have to go before the high council, the Supreme Court, yet. We may not have to be there yet but what does it take for you and for me? Weak people, common people like myself, fearful of talking to people. What does it take for us to be able to stand in the coming days ahead of? two things? Number one, stand on the rock. Stand on the rock and stand in the river. The first one is the rock. You know, when you stand for something, you really have to believe in it. Not just casually, but when I'm standing for a cause. Look at all the causes in the world today. When you stand for a cause, you really have to believe in it. Not just know about it, but really to stake your life on it. And that's faith, to put your life onto something. To believe that that thing can hold the weight of what you've put your faith in or what you put your trust in. It says they didn't fear their threats, and they saw they were ordinary men. But verse 13 says they were amazed at their boldness. And that boldness and that confidence realized that it says they recognized these were men who had been with Jesus. Do people look at your life and recognize you've been with Jesus? You see, to, to speak so confidently about something is not just to say you know facts about something, but to have to go there and know that thing for yourself. Moses, the Bible says, went up onto the rock, onto the mount of God and there he met, met God face to face. He didn't just know about God, he met God. And there's a day that we are living in right now that you can't just survive this Christian life just knowing about him, you better know him. You better go to the rock, your foundation, you better go up to that mountain to meet God face to face, and our mountain is called Calvary, Mount Zion, the place of God, the city of God, and you have to not just know facts about the cross, you have to go to the cross. You have to meet him face to face right there, to when it comes down to it, and you have to stand for Christ, you know what you're talking about, because it's not about a theory or a religious doctrine, but it's a person that you have a relationship with and they said we recognize these men don't just talk about biblical facts they're not just quoting doctrine they haven't learned this from an extracurricular source. they didn't go to school to teach and train and tell us what they learned. they know the dude they know the man they were with that guy they are speaking just like him they have the confidence that he had and it's clear these guys just don't know about Jesus but they knew Jesus. Do you know him? Come on, church. Do you know him? Really know him? To have a personal relationship. The Bible says that in Psalms 118, he'd be the stone the builders rejected. Jesus would say the same thing about himself. Isaiah said he would be that costly cornerstone. And who believes, those who believe in him would never be disturbed. Paul said he'd be that spiritual rock that Moses struck and that from him would be the rivers of living water. He was that mount of God. He was Mount Sinai where Moses went. He was the rock that Moses stood on. He is that firm foundation, that hiding place. Daniel sees him. Is a mountain coming back down to earth, and that mountain will cover the world, and the kingdom of God will never be shaken. And Hebrews even says, he says, there is a shaking of the world, but there is a kingdom of God. There is a place, there is a city, there is a people of God who will never be shaken. Why? Because God is their firm foundation. He's the solid rock on which they stand. And while, let me tell you something, church, there is a shaking going on right now. And everything that can be shaken, Hebrews 12 says, will be shaken. So let me bring it home a little bit. Sometimes God allows us shaking to see what's still standing. Where will you be standing? Let me give you a challenge, adults. Not only in America, around the world, but in America today. You may have to make the decision, mom and dad, adults, that you're going to choose not to get that promotion if it means cutting the corners. You're going to have to make a decision like these bakers and these wedding photographers to either go to court or lose your business. That day's here, it's now. It's in America today. There may be that cost that you're going to have to pay to stand for Christ. It's coming, it is here, it's now at hand. So, Mom and dad, where are you going to be when the shaking starts happening? How firmly will you stand when it costs you something? Mom and dad, your kids need more of the Bible than you did. Growing up, I believe that. And I said that this morning, I said, be sure their hobbies don't become habits that keep them from the church because they're going to see more persecution than you and I ever have. They need more of the Bible in them than any generation before them in America. This generation needs to be in church. That's up to you, mom and dad. Only your children can reach the Michaels I can't go to high school and reach those kids, but this generation can reach them. This generation is the ones that have to go into their campus, and you and I have to train them up to be the mightiest generation America has ever seen. But it's not going to happen if they're missing things, if they're not here, if they're not in their Bibles every day, if you're not teaching them and leading them and praying with them and instructing them in the ways of God. Come on, somebody. It's up to us. We look to the generation. Well, I can't believe this generation is the way. Who led that generation to that place? It takes the generation before to pass that torch on, just like we had that baby dedication today. It takes a mom and dad who pray, who seek God's face, who say, no, we're going to the house of the Lord today. I remember times where i faked sickness to get out of going to church. Guess what? We went anyway. I'm not joking. I, I remember taking the thermostat and putting it up to the light bulb just so it would be a fever. And then mom and dad come back and, oh, you ain't sick enough. Get in the car. We're going to church. Because it's so important. Because these days are being shaken. Yeah. Students, this may mean you're standing up to a teacher or a coach for your freedom in Christ. It may mean that when you go to university, you may have to choose to fail a paper or a class. I'm serious. I remember just 10 years ago, I don't know how many years ago, it's been that I was in college, 2007, graduated university. I remember teachers coming in and telling me the Bible wasn't true, miracles didn't happen, this is what the Bible says about homosexuality, and yada, yada, yada. That was 2007. Can you imagine what our universities are like today? Indoctrination after indoctrination. Students, you're going to have to choose I will not write this paper on this. I will not write it the way you want me to. I will walk out of this class. I will fail this course if it means I have to deny Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. This is the day you're going to have to make a choice to sacrifice for what you believe in, to stand for Christ. And it's not, parents, they're not going to do it without you championing them and saying, it's okay. If that football coach or that baseball coach says you can't go to church because we're going to practice on Sundays, then you walk out and you say this is what it takes. If enough Christians just gather together before it's too late, we can make a stand. And if not, we'll start our own league because that's what it takes. We're at that day. We're at that day. It may mean losing and missing out. It may mean failing. It may mean not being a part of a team. But it will mean saving someone's life for eternity. And it will be receiving your reward with Jesus Christ. That is the rock. Number two is the river. You see, there was a second key to Peter's bold profession, and it wasn't just knowing facts about him, but it was experiencing him. If you look at this story, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, Peter and John were baptized in the Holy Spirit. That word means immersed. They were immersed with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that boldness began. But not only that, but right before Peter begins to speak to the high council, if you look there, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit. And then if you look after he spoke to the high council, they went into that room. And it says, as they prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a continual thing. This is not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing and you check it and you're done. It's a continual filling, a continual immersion. The word baptism means immerse. The word filling for Luke means under the influence of. Like someone's under the influence of alcohol and they do all kinds of crazy things. Come on, you can be under the influence of the Holy Spirit and do things under the influence of God do things God wants you to do. And Peter recognized and and the early church recognized that this is a reliance upon God. They continually were filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit as the occasion required it. They came and they were about to stand and speak before governors. And even Jesus prophesied that. He said, don't worry in that hour what you're to say. The Holy Spirit will tell you in that hour what to say. Rely on him. Stand in the river of the Holy Spirit. Be filled be continually filled. Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, Don't be like, like the drunk people. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be continually under the influence of the Holy Spirit. If you're going to stand for Christ in this day, you better be a church. You better be a Christian. You better be a husband. You better be a wife. You better be a teenager under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let me go back real quick. That day Moses stood on the rock. I just told you about singing on rock. And in fact, it's Exodus chapter 17, verse 6. And it says, Behold, I stand before you. Moses is saying this. There on the rock at Horeb. And God says to Moses, And you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. The Bible says Moses stood on the Mount of God. Horeb and Sinai are the same place. He says he stood on Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai, in the desert. It's a mountain range. God says, Moses, go up to the rock. And Paul would say that rock is Christ. And that rock followed them in the desert, he even says, spiritually. And that rock was a sure foundation. It was the place where he met God face to face. And Moses goes up there face to face with God. He meets God face to face. he takes his staff, and God says, stand on the rock and strike it. So Moses strikes it. People are hungry and thirsty. It's a dry wilderness. And in fact, the wilderness is called the wilderness of sin, if you believe it. And in that moment, if you read the Psalms and you read Isaiah... And you studied out. The Bible says this was a flint stone. A flint stone. You ever made fires with flint before? Remember that? The spark? Boy Scouts, come on. You made flint fires. Those stones spark. I just, I just kind of think that it might have sparked. That's just me. I think he hit that rock. And the Bible says in Isaiah that he hit that flint, and that flint became a fountain. And Isaiah says that, that it began to gush forth multiple streams. It became a mighty river that flowed down the mountain into multiple streams and went through the camp of God. And as Moses was standing on the rock, in one moment he was standing in the river. He was on the rock, but he was in the river. And the Bible says in John chapter 7: Jesus stands up at the Feast of Tabernacles. And he says, all who are thirsty, come. All who are thirsty, come and drink from me. Drink from the waters of life, and there will be a river that flows from your innermost being and will flow out from you. And that's why Paul can say, "Jesus is the rock that you stand on, and He is the river that you need to stand in." And that Holy Spirit is symbolic of life and life-giving water. Eternal life comes from Jesus. The Spirit of God proceeded from Jesus onto the early church, and they reason this church was so. So successful in their day, they were on a firm foundation standing in the rock. But at the same time, man, they were standing in the river of the Holy Spirit. We need to be standing in the flowing river of the Holy Spirit. That thing that comes from Christ, that gives you power, that directs the movements. Man, can you imagine, I don't know, Moses getting on an inner tube and just flowing down the mountain. Come on. He had met with God. And flowing from the Holy Spirit was life. And look what this church does. Just wrapping up. The end of that verse, verse 31, they did not pray, listen, they did not pray for easier, better lives. Lord, shut them up, God. Lord, let me watch Netflix on Sunday night, God. Lord, make it to where we can have good voting rights, God. Lord, make it to where everything goes well for my kids in school, God. They said no. Lord, you hear their threats. You know, Lord, your hand. Lord, you help us to do what we can do. And Lord, we know you'll do what you can do. Lord, give us power to speak some more. Even in the face of threats, they began to speak with power. They didn't care. They didn't ask for an easier, better churchy life. They said, Lord, help us to keep standing. Help us to keep being persecuted. Help us to keep going the distance. They didn't pray, uh, Warren Wiersbe says, they didn't pray for protection, they prayed for power. And God says he refilled them. God refilled them. When's the last time you were filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit? Where you came under the influence of God? Where you relied on God's power to do what he's called? Maybe you're like me. You're like, I don't have, Pastor, I don't have the words. I don't have the Bible degree, I don't have the knowledge, I don't, have, I don't, ha- I don't know what to say. I, what, what if I say something wrong? What if I do the wrong thing? What if I, I mess it up? If you look back and look at the word preach, it's like, oh, I'm not a preacher. Yeah, really? If you look at the Greek word for preach, you know what it means? Tell, speak, talk out loud. It means to tell someone. What do they tell? It says, we cannot be silent about what we've seen and heard. That's it, what we've seen and heard. What have you seen and hear? What do you know? Tell people what you know. That's preaching. Just telling someone what you know about Jesus is preaching. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have a seven-point Romans Road salvation mapped out. You don't have to have 17 Bible verses backed out. But if you have had a personal experience with Jesus, if you have gone to the mountain, if you've met him and know him personally, and you've experienced the Holy Spirit in your life, you can tell someone about it. And God can use that humble, weak testimony and make it a bold proclamation of faith that sees someone come to faith, and that is their journey with Christ. It begins, it's not on you to make them into who God wants. That's God's job. You just do your job. He says, he said, God, we'll do our part if you do your part. God, we will speak boldly if you confirm with healing, if you confirm with power, if you supply the ability. God, I'll speak. I'll talk out loud what what I've seen and what I've heard. And our church is here to equip you in evangelism and training, and we give Right Now Media, and we've got New Believer Bible Studies and Deeper Bible Studies, and we've got all the tools that we can help you with. But it's your job to open your mouth and tell someone. And God promises He'll come right behind you with the power and with the ability that you need. You never know who the next Michael, your Michael, might be. You don't know? I would never have thought that that young man would die at 32 years old. And I'll tell you this, I have made more mistakes than successes. I have missed the mark so many times, but I recognize I'm a weak and common man. My power doesn't come from me. I hate speaking in front of people. I hate going to strangers and talking. That is my weakness. What does God of the Bible say? Man, in my weakness, he's made strong. His grace is sufficient for my weakness. And all he's asking for you, is just you have to have your personal story with him. Have you gone to the mountain? Are you standing on the rock? Are you standing in the river? Are you under the influence of the Holy Spirit? Is he directing your steps? Is he ordering your path? Are you submitting to him, God, I'm a common person. I don't have what it takes. I'm weak. I'm insufficient. He says, yeah, but I can give you my power. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? What is it that we're speaking about? It's the good news. What's the good news, Pastor Heath? Is that Jesus was born, that he lived a holy life, that he died on the cross, and he's coming back. That's the good news. The good news is that Jesus has come, that the kingdom of God is at hand. The Bible says you can repent and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. Even you and your whole household. That God would do a work in your family. How are you standing today? Are you willing to stand? Maybe your life has been shaken. That might be a wake-up call for God, for God is working on your life, and you say, I've, I've been relying on my own strength. God is shaking things around us, saying, hey, are you standing on me? Are you standing on me? Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Church, are we standing on the rock? You can know all the facts of Sunday school You can know all the facts of Bible school, but you better know Jesus. You better know Jesus. Have you made an encounter with God? Do you know him? Number two, are you standing in the river? Are you standing in the river? Every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. Number one is, have you made a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? as your firm foundation of your life. Is he your number one relationship? Is he your number one source? Is he the number one thing you're living for? If you're here today and you've only known facts about Jesus, but you've never had it for yourself, maybe you walked away and your time to rededicate your life to him and come back to a surer foundation. Maybe your life is in sinking sand today and you just say, I need to make that declaration that I'm going to stand... And know Christ, I need something stronger that I'm leaning on. You're here today, and if you don't know where you would spend eternity when you die, you don't know, you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus, I want to pray for you and invite you to come here in a moment.